Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. We have no guest tonight. We have too much to talk about. Joining me, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. What's up, baby? You know, I'm just riding the Kings roller coaster, covering the team. You know, <laughs> it's it's funny they put they take you up real high and they drop you off real low. Um, but that's the fun of covering this team is watching them go through those swings. Yeah, I know. Uh, following Monday's loss, which was a tragic loss, double overtime loss to the Charlotte Hornets. I think George Carl said it best. He said, "I I want to throw up." And then we we posted it, and that was like the headline: George Carl wants to throw up after a loss to the Hornets. And the picture we had was him like with poofy cheeks, like about to throw up, it looked like, uh, which is not so cool because then he comes down with gastroenteritis and misses. I was going to say, maybe, maybe it actually happened. Maybe he did he throw up. watching it. Yeah, I think if he did rewatch that that Monday night footage, you know, the, the worst part, we'll, we'll just jump right into this. The worst part about Monday night's loss is, number one, you should beat the team because that team had no business being in the, in the same ballpark as you. Uh, they were too beat up, you know, half of their team sitting on the bench, a lot like what happens on Thursday. Uh, but you lose in double overtime and it wipes everything out. You got nothing left going into the next night. Again, DeMarcus Cousins goes for 56 points. He's an absolute madman. And you get to you get to Tuesday night and you that's a scheduling loss. That's what I call those. It's over. You know, it's over before it even starts. Kings had no legs. They got pounded, whatever. What did you see? Why, Aaron, put on your, your sports psychologist hat. What is it with this Sacramento Kings team that just, they do not have the ability to rise up and thump someone that has no business being in the game with them? They're just not good enough to overcome, and people on Twitter have heard this, they're not they're good, not good enough to overcome the system limitations. And sometimes they are, and it looks really good. But most of the time, they're not. And so you get these runs, whether they're good runs or bad runs. Um, and, and it puts them in a position to have a schedule loss against a team like Portland that they should realistically thump. And it puts them in a position to lose to a Charlotte team that they should have thumped. And it puts them in a position to against a team tonight uh, against the Hornets, or pardon me, the Pelicans, that they should have thumped. And but can you, I just can, feel, you really, can you write it off the system? Because to me, yeah, I, I, th- they look like they're they're – energy losses their their teams coming out and they're overlooking teams that's what it feels like i don't think they're overlooking teams i think that they have trouble playing hard when the chips get down and that that's on them don't get me wrong but this this team constantly gets placed into a position of no chance for success and it's got to be frustrating for them when when you have nowhere to go with the ball because the system is designed for you to dribble drive against a set defense as a seven foot big man 
that's not generally going to work out. DeMarcus Cousins is great. He's going to be in the skills challenge. That's great for him. But most of the time, that's going to be a turnover. And when Rajon Rondo's number one directive is to penetrate because it's a spread dribble drive offense, but there's nothing there because the defense doesn't care that you're driving, there's not going to be a great chance of success. And so I think they get down and then they start losing their effort. And that's, again, on them. But it's really, really tough from a basketball perspective to watch this team. And you see Doug Christie on the telecast, and we talk about it here. And it's the only people who don't know this are the the George Carl Alkalites out there who really, I don't know if they're not paying attention. I, I, I saw one of them say that Marco Bellinelli was having a great year this year. So I know that guy's not paying attention. No. But... Yeah, you're this not paying is terrible. Yeah, this is terrible basketball. It's a terrible basketball system. There's no way around that. You have the best post player in the NBA and you're like, well, we're so good and we're so smart that we're just not going to use that. We're going to try something new and you're 50 some odd games into the experiment and it clearly doesn't work. So if you're not putting Charlotte, who I did predict that Cousins would have 50 points that game. So I'd like to pat myself on the back there. And we'll do that again later. <laughs> you, call, but, you call the 50-pointer. I call the 50-pointer because that's a terrible front court. And you foul that front court out so you're now – DeMarcus Cousins is going to be posting up against six-foot-six guys instead of that front court. You don't, let, you don't, put, you don't take your foot off of their, their neck. And again, tonight, Omer Ashik and – Alexis Ajinsha, who I can never say his name. Ojinka, yeah. I don't think that's it. Yeah, it's but we'll run. We'll run and it. it's and as a Jinka. It's okay. Go ahead. Those guys should never be in the same <laughs> court as Demarcus Cousins. And every time he got the ball in the vicinity of the hoop, he he was able to at least make it look that way. And it's mind numbing that this team feels like a Marco Bellinelli fadeaway jumper with his feet on the three-point line is a good idea. Or a Rajon Rondo drive to the hoop that maybe has a 50-50 chance of working out. And the defense is like, sure, you know what? We'll, we'll give that up as long as Boogie isn't fouling our guys out and putting, you know, putting them in the hospital practically with bumps and bruises on their face. Well, hey, a 50-50 shot of, of scoring is actually one it's, point. It, yeah, that's actually it's not... It's pretty good. It's not bad. It's yeah. not bad. Okay, so I'm just going to read you what I wrote in in my pregame for this game. My what to watch uh, was Willie Cauley-Stein versus Ryan Anderson. The rookie has brought energy and defensive presence to a club in desperate need of both. With Davis unlikely to play, he'll draw one of the league's best stretch fours. Cauley-Stein has shown propensity for sagging off perimeter shooters. If he does that in New Orleans, Anderson will torch him. Okay, that's my pregame if that wasn't the scouting report or something very similar to that then they need a different scout how does that happen when you walk into into new orleans and you know that they've got no anthony davis you know that tyreek evans is is out you know that eric gordon broke his hand they have such a limited i mean when you looked at their starting lineup tonight i think half the people in the nba world laughed they're like wait that that rookie guy they just signed out of the D-League who's played like three games, what is he doing in the starting lineup? And 
you know, they had Alonzo Gee playing in the starting lineup. You're like, what is this? Uh, that's G, by the way. G, and okay. I, I will, Gee is a form of butter, for those of you who don't know. But the, um, <laughs> the, the whole thing we, we try to edu- educate you in different ways on, here. on multiple levels here, folks. Um, <laughs> okay, so Willie Colley Stein, I said on Twitter, I missed the first quarter. And so I had to go back and watch his six minutes from that first quarter. And Anderson got him on two plays early. And it was kind of the kind of stuff where you're like, eh, you're probably not going to worry about it. And then the one that he got yanked on was a play that just after the two possessions earlier, uh, I forget, I think it was Drew Holiday, went baseline on whatever perimeter de- de- defender there was. He just got an easy buck to the hoop. Willie Colleystein saw the same exact thing happening, so he ran back to defend the paint. DeMarcus Cousins was closer to Ryan Anderson than Willie Colleystein was, but he didn't really feel like going out there to, to contest the shot. So Willie Colleystein was the guy that did the flyby as he's shooting, and Ryan Anderson makes the three. And it, it's like he's the scapegoat for anything that goes wrong with this team. Uh, you have so to they know him. that that guy is going to be shooting. You have to. A shooter's going to shoot. The, the deal That's is in this game is you stand right next to Ryan Anderson and you, like, rub his scruffly beard the whole time. That's what you do. Well, and let's, let's be real about this. The, the one weakness of Willie Cauley-Stein's game is challenging shooters. And at the same time, he's one of the Kings' best players right now. So if you're really concerned about him covering Ryan Anderson, who is a crafty player who can exploit a rookie – then you slide a guy like Omri Caspi over onto him and you stick Willie Cauley-Stein and you play him at free safety because the <laughs> Pelicans don't have anybody else that can hurt you. Stick him on Alonzo G. Stick him on the D-leaguer whose name that I can't even remember right now. I can't remember Do his that. Name either. Yeah. I mean, Norris Do Cole that. was starting at point guard, man. Norris Cole. How do you lose it's, to a team with Norris Cole, a guy that we don't know his name, Alonzo G., uh, Ashik and Ryan Anderson. How do you lose? And not only lose, but that game was over in the first quarter. They got blown out, what, like 37 to 19? It was over. Horrible. Instead of getting your best players on the floor for the Kings last night, you got guys like James Anderson, who's not a good defender, point blank. If you think he's a good defender, then I will not trust your basketball opinion. (laughs) Marco Bellinelli. Then we're fighting words. <laughs> struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm laying that one on a little thick. But he's not a good defender. He gets blown by way too much. He might concentrate on defense while he's out there, and that can be a good thing. But you got those guys in heavy doses. You got one of your best players not playing. But you've got this system, whether we're talking offensively or defensively, the switching was terrible tonight. But offensively, doesn't go through the hoop guys get frustrated they start to pick at each other or they start to not play for each other it's a it's just a, a snowball effect on this team versus you you just bowl them over and then that team so surprise surprise has way less confidence on their offensive side of the ball the, the whole point behind this is that you're not getting your best players on the floor and if your offense is not working your defense is not going to be as good naturally because you have to pull the ball out of the hoop when the offense is scoring on you. You can't get easy live ball, fast break, turnovers, things of that nature. And there's a confidence thing. When you see the ball going through our defense, there's more mojo. 
the defensive switching is something that can be addressed fairly easily, though I would think that now that you've tinkered with it so much in one direction to go to a different system could also confuse them. So this, this thing could be blown, like the defensive scheme could be blown for the rest of the year. But offensively, all you have to do is resign yourself to saying, instead of having a 75%, 25% split with DeMarcus Cousins standing at the three-point line, you can flip that. You can 75% of the time, his possessions start in the post, and everybody else plays off of that. That gets the ball out of Marco Bellinelli's hands. That gets the ball into players' hands where they can do something with it, and so they can get, get some confidence and just roll with it. You know what I saw tonight in the uh, the Pelicans game was the guards give the ball to DeMarcus Cousins out of the uh, – he would inbounds it, they would give it right back, and he would bring the ball up the court. And, I mean, I watched Darren Collison do it time and time again. Like, he was bringing the ball, the ball up the court, like, I don't know, at least half of the times? Because he's the primary ball handler. Well, yes, but I- – I mean, and, and honestly, I trust that he can do a lot of things with the ball. I mean, again, I trust him a lot more than like I trusted Chris Weber when he was dribbling the ball. Uh, but when I look at him now and I'm watching him dribble the ball up the court and his and his uh, his guards are running down to be like wing guys. And so you're almost setting up where he's going to bring it down. Someone's going to set a pick for him and he's going to run at the rim and then try to draw and kick. I, I'm just confused. Like, why is he not going? I mean... He just scored 48 points in one night and 56 points in another night. I mean, he's the best big man in the game. He's the best low post scorer in the game. And you're going to have him bring up, bring the ball up the court. I, I'm confused why they keep doing this. And it, it, I'm with you where he needs to be in the, in the post like 80% of the time or, you know, maybe not that much, but I, I like him at the, at the the top of the the key or at the elbow, I like him right there where he they run the offense through him a little bit there, and then he can take guys off the dribble or he can find guys in the corner or he can have cutters come off him. I'm okay with that. I I think that their offense is still very very rudimentary, and they don't even have say like a standard. They don't have a lot of pick and roll action, which I think would work really well with this team. They don't set picks at all. They don't set good screens at all. That's a huge issue with this team. You know, uh, someone asked me on the uh, uh, the Rise Guys, they asked me, you know, why is it that Marco Bellinelli's doing what he's doing? Why is he coming off all these screens? And I'm like, I'm not really sure. He's off balance the entire time he's shooting. But one of the bigger issues that I see is, you know, the reason why it worked with the Spurs and it doesn't work with the Kings is because the Spurs actually set screens. Like when Tiago Splitter was there or Tim Duncan they set screens. Not only that, but they rolled their hips on screens to clear you out even more space. The Kings don't do that. The, the Kings' bigs are like already, by the time they're you're running by the screen, they're already halfway to the hoop ready for you to pass it to them. And Bellinelli, like he had four assists on, on Tuesday night against Portland, it's the first time we've really seen him pass in a long time where it was actually effective and he was actually passing within an offensive scheme, not just like head and shoulder faking, standing there, and then having to hand the ball off to somebody. So this, you're right, Aaron. This team has a lot of issues on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I mean, they keep showing up as well. Uh, but how do you get through this? How do you march through this? Especially, I mean, you can't reboot 40-something games into the season when you're right in the, the middle of a playoff push. What do you do? Here's what I'm told. I'm told that if the Kings don't make the playoffs— 
that George Carl will not be around next year. <laughs> and so what, and I got asked this on Twitter today, if say you're the GM or you're the coach, what would you get rid of Carl? And I'd say, no, you don't get rid of Carl, but you tell him, look, you either change this or you're gone. But he's not going to change. He's not going to change. Well, then you tell him he's gone. It's, yeah. that, it's that simple because this is not a long-term strategy for this team. It, it, there, he won't be – this team, as constructed with Marcus Cousins and, and, and Rajon Rondo as your core, if you keep running this spread offense, it's not going to get any better than this. You can bring in new players, but the fact of the matter is, is pulling him away from the hoop has a limited positive impact on your offense. Yes, it pulls a defender out from underneath the hoop, but you negate everything that DeMarcus Cousins brings to the table. Otherwise, he can put up these huge numbers, but frankly, against Charlotte, the, the guy should have had 70. I'm not kidding. If it was a double overtime game, it should have been 70 because the Kings wasted the first and second quarters not going to him in the post. And that's well, the crazy I, thing to think. I agree. And if, if you look at the, the Hornets game as well, they they just did not find him in the post. They And it was almost like he's afraid of uh, of a seek. It's like, I'm that guy's really, he's a good man on defender. I'm not going to take that away from me. He's a very good man Nobody on defender. Nobody else thinks that, though. No, defensive metrics say he's a very good defender. I know he was the best defender in the NBA when he was signed away from the Chicago Bulls. Like he's, I'm a fan of his, but the New Orleans guys complain about him incessantly. So, but I get what you're saying. Because he can't, he can't play offense at all. I mean, he's a complete rube on the offensive end. I mean, outside of like three feet, he shoots like 25%. He's, he's absolutely horrible unless he's dunking a ball. And even then he can't put a ball on the floor. He can't take one step, a, a dribble and a step. I mean, he's dunking. That's all he can do. I'm talking about the defense side of the ball when I say that. The guys over at uh, Bourbon Street Shots, they complain about him. And I understand everybody complains about their own guys. But he's not the Omer Ashik that we, you know, that got the big contract that had all the buzz coming out of Chicago. This is a guy that when, he, when Cousins got the ball in the post, he was able to do some things. A couple times he didn't convert, but by and large you see, okay, he can get around him. And then once you get around him, now you can go to the power game. Cousins never gets to just tinker with this. He never gets to go, all right, I got you with the power game. Now I'm going to go around you. Okay, now I went around you. Now you're going to go for that. Now I'm going to go back to the power game. Once you put a guy into the blender like that, it can be a nightmare for a defender in the post. And that's when you start to see the double and triple teams. And the Kings, because they never run this stuff, they don't know how to enter the ball in the post. They don't know how to shift their shooters around DeMarcus Cousins to give them the passing lanes. So when he gets a good entry pass, which he rarely gets, one that's quick and crisp and not a lob, team me real quick, he can fling it out to these guys for open threes or easy drives to the hoop. It's basic basketball. We're trying to reinvent the wheel here, and it's just not working. I, I can see that, man. I can see that it's not working, but there are other nights where it does work. I mean, we are talking about a Kings team that did just win five in a row. And I don't think it was smoke and mirrors. And if you look at the five wins that they had, three of them were against very, very good opponents. I mean, they knocked off the Clippers. I don't care if you say Blake was there or not. They had already won 10 straight. They knocked off the Pacers. I mean, they have played quality opponents. They have played quality games against quality opponents. 
And it seems that really it's a psychological issue that this team has where they just let up. They let up all the time. Now, you know, again, Iski was was coaching for George Carl. George Carl, of course, had gastroenteritis, which they, that's a fourth case of gastroenteritis this season for the Sacramento Kings. Very strange. Uh, it's almost like they're the uh, the Tampa they Bay give Buccaneers you gas. locker room, you know, <laughs> where everyone keeps getting the staff and the MRSA. Everyone, you know, it's like, can somebody clean this locker room or just blow well, it up, hey, you, burn it you down? Know, you know, Doug's been having problems. Uh, you're going to go to the, too, so the constipation. There it is. There it is. All right, so let's that get was you like a... the funniest thing I've seen all year. By the way, that was funny. That was funny stuff. I missed the the Doug the Doug Christie constipation thing. I did. So let's let's move on to a different topic, though. Um, you know, we've seen that that the Kings are wildly and erratic, and and I don't know that that's going to get any better. Uh, like tomorrow or the next day, I thought that they had got through their erratic behavior. Uh, especially after Saturday's win against Indiana. I thought that that was a big moment for them, and they had got through most of their erratic stuff, and then boom, here we are, three losses in a row, and we're right back in it. But they get some good news, and they get some good news in the form of DeMarcus Cousins becoming a an all-star without being put into the game by Adam Silver, which is what happened last year. Uh, not to take anything away from DeMarcus Cousins. He deserved to be an all-star last year. But the fact is that DeMarcus Cousins, the player, and DeMarcus Cousins, the personality, weren't on the same page last year with the other coaches, and so he was left off as as a uh, as an extra, and it took you know Kobe Bryant's injury for him to get into the game. This year, we we turn around, and first of all, the voting thing is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. Uh, it's something that I think Adam Silver will address in this offseason. I think everyone is tired of the fan voting, especially now that, you know, you get some crazy guys in Turkey who are figuring out ways to, you know, cheat the system and and almost get a guy like Enes Kanter into the game or almost get a guy like Zaza Pochulia. Uh, just think if that would have happened and DeMarcus Cousins would have got the snub, I think there would have been some horrible, horrible things. But DeMarcus Cousins clearly deserved to be an all-star this year. There's no question he is probably a top three player at this point in the league. The way he's playing currently uh, on the season, he's at least a top five. He's been an absolute you know, star here of late. What are your thoughts on him and maybe the all-star team, the Western Conference squad as a whole? I thought both conferences, there wasn't a whole lot of snub action. Like I wouldn't personally have had LaMarcus Aldridge on the team. I've, I think he's had an outright bad year. Like, for his for his ability and you know that's to be expected he's being integrated onto a new team um but i i'm i'm as far as cousins goes i put this out on twitter i think he's a top five nba player right now and so i took off russell westbrook from that list and so it, it's comprised of steph katie uh lebron uh somebody i'm forgetting who am i forgetting please don't tell me james harden no, no, I'll no, no, slap no, no. you. I'll slap you through the blue yutty. I, I can't. I know it's late, so I don't know why I'm not remembering my four guy. But Demarcus Cousins is in my top five, and that in its own is an amazing thing for a Sacramento franchise that's going to have a hard time attracting free agents, at least in the near future. To have that type of a talent, it's it's pretty amazing, um, and it's something you can build around. And and even. You know, during the five-game win streak, during the two losses, this is tonight's game was the first time that I saw them not flying around the court, and who knows why that is. 
but for seven some odd games there, the effort's been there, and that's really been the only question mark with him. So if you have Boogie in the right place attitude-wise, I just think the future is extremely bright because guys will want to play with that type of player. Okay. When I when I interviewed him before his rookie season, I asked him, where are you going to be in five years? He said, um, the best big man in the NBA, I'll be an all-star. And I said, okay, where are you going to be in 10 years? He said, a multi-time all-star, hopefully a champion, uh, and well on my way to the Hall of Fame. And I asked him, are you a Hall of Famer? He said, that's the plan. And that was when he was, what, 19 years old? I, it, it's been a long time, but I got to be honest with you. He's right on He's right on course. He's probably got another, I'd say, six or seven All-Star games in him, maybe a little bit more, uh, It just depending on how his body holds up. He is the definitive big man in the game right now. There's no one who's even remotely close to him. I'm glad to see him get some personal accolades uh, because I have seen him take major strides. So I'm excited to see that, and I'm excited to see what is next for him, especially if he does get into a seven-game playoff series. If he does get into the second round of the playoffs, the third round of the playoffs, you know, not this year, the next year, the year after, things like that. That's what I'm looking forward to because his talent, getting to watch him on a nightly basis, it's actually it's really special because this is – there's not been a guy this big that can do the things that he can do. And that's something that I've preached for a long time about him. And he just keeps getting better. I'm a little worried about his feet. I got to be honest with you. He's got sore feet. He's got sore feet for a a while now. He walks like an old man off the court, you know, for the first hour after a game. Uh, But outside of that, I, I think that this guy is only he's he's only going to prove to be more and more dominant and he's probably got a 5 to like 8 year window here where he is going to be so incredibly dominant that teams will have to game plan for him nonstop and that's kind of where I'm at with with DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, he's Shaq 3.0. He's all the power of Shaq but all of the skill of uh, today's big man is is a perimeter player um you don't have that combo the only person that's even remotely intriguing like that and is way more intriguing is Stephen Curry um Kevin Durant yes but the thing with Kevin Durant is he always gets shut down in the playoffs as far as being just this overwhelming presence he hasn't had that playoff moment yet DeMarcus Cousins if he wants to you know we're not going to cover this because we've said it all podcast long if he wants to go into the post he can't be covered in there, and that is just a phenomenal thing. And the guy I forgot off my list was Kawhi Leonard. Oh, okay. You have him over, wow, over Russell Westbrook in your top five? I do. I do. I think Kawhi Leonard could possibly be the best player in the NBA because, okay. because there's two sides of the court, and what he's doing offensively is, is simply phenomenal. Yeah, and the defensive end, he's you know one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in the game. I I, I can see that. I just still think that Russell Westbrook is, is pretty – doggone incredible russ is like my number six he's right there he's my dog i love that guy i love watching him play and if if every nba player had his intensity it would be a really great league to watch and it already is all right so we're gonna bring up the eastern conference and uh and folks out there 
I've put some limitations on Aaron Bruski on this one. No, you haven't. I've put I, you, I've, you can't I've, hold me down. I've, I've constricted him. I, I've put a a minute limit on him. <laughs> no, you did. You gave me. You said five minutes, and I said, "Don't worry, I, I got it all out of my system." It's all good. Okay, Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas. Congratulations to Isaiah Thomas. Uh, one of the nicest guys that I've covered. Always gave time. Always had a huge smile. Did the little things, went to city council meetings, fought, even though he's from the Seattle area, fought to keep the Kings in Sacramento. He gets done wrong in Sacramento, and he comes out smelling like roses. He is an NBA all-star, which is absolutely spectacular. He is a little guy with a huge heart who is doing amazing things for the Boston Celtics. Aaron Talk to me about your friend, <laughs> your, your friend and mine, Isaiah Thomas. You know, I'm just happy for the guy because he got run out of town by people whose names you guys already know. And I, I felt like there were people that helped said people run the guy out of town. And I just didn't think that was morally correct. I thought when you have a player, A, that's, that can help the franchise going forward, but B, was so good with the community and like everybody loves this dude. And, and for him to be getting the stuff that was told to fans on party buses and just, I mean, it's just crazy that the smear campaign that guy had to, to have him survive the Phoenix thing where a lot of people will try to pile on the guy there for a situation that didn't make a lot of sense. We know how Phoenix is run as an organization well, for him to land. Now. Yeah. yeah I mean, and for happening. him to land with Brad Stevens in Boston, what a coup for him. I mean, and Brad has has really empowered him to to say, look, I'm going to let you make mistakes and I'm going to let you look for your own shot. I'm just asking that when you get double teamed, that you find the open man. But having a confidence from his coach and from the organization, he doesn't have to worry about things. He never got that in Sacramento. So now that he's got his contract and he's got a coach and an organization that they'll look after him. Now you're seeing the true ability of Isaiah Thomas. So I'm not surprised. I wasn't surprised. I said two years ago that he'd be an all-star. But you had you got to support the player, and that's something that the Kings couldn't do. It's too bad, but everybody's moved on. But congrats to Isaiah. Yeah, and actually, if you really think about it, they could have actually kept Isaiah instead of Darren Collison. They could have kept Isaiah and Darren Collison. They could have had them both, or they could have just stuck with Isaiah, tried to get through another season. Then they could have signed Rondo this offseason just like they did to have their starting point guard, and then you would have had a dynamic score off the bench. Realistically, what the Kings need off the bench uh, is, is, a score. is a score like that. And we're going to get to this in a minute, but I think he could have fit here. Not that I don't think that Darren Collison does fit here, but I think he could have fit here as like this dynamo off the bench. I loved watching him play. Him against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, every time someone tried to back him down in the post, uh, it was just always fun to watch because he destroyed them as a post defender, which is shocking. Um, he definitely he deserves all the accolades just because, look, when you're... I don't know how tall he is. I, I don't have the exact measurements. I, <laughs> I didn't ask. It's not just how tall he is. It's, it's a lot of other things, too. He does not have a wide wingspan. He has short arms. Uh, when you have everything stacked against you as a player the, and you go on to make an all-star team like this and not make an all-star team as like a gadget player 
as like a, a six man who who chucks up a bunch of shots and I mean this guy has made the all-star team as a starting NBA point guard so hat tip to Isaiah Thomas I just absolutely great stuff from him as he's it's fun to watch a player grow and to see him go from the 60th pick in the draft to where he is now it's just absolutely incredible and it's a great segue into what the Kings need and some of the trade talk that's been surrounding the team. So Rudy Gay was on the block. I don't think that he's on the block anymore, or at least not aggressively. Yeah, um, let's 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 tee this up. I mean, the Kings are in in a major like they're in in the the heat of it, but they have holes. So why don't we discuss what the holes are, and then we'll get to you know, sort of what we're hearing and, and what might be on the table and what's not. What, if you were Vlade Divac, what is it that you would focus on, Aaron, as far as what this team has to have now? I think they need a perimeter, like a 3 and D guy, a cheap one, you know, something in the ballpark of like a Courtney Lee would be great. Something in the ballpark of a Tabo Cephalosha would be great. Acquirable players, not a big splashy move, but just one more piece of a veteran player that knows how to just operate and can shoot the ball. I mean, Ben, he's going to be what he's going to be. Marco, I do think Marco can get better, especially if George Carl gets a message and starts playing some post offense. I, I mean, get this guy's feet set and he'll she'll correct this thing. I, he's had half season chunks where he shot 50 percent of um, from three. And that's what shooting guards do. They slump for entire half seasons. It happens all the time. And so, but with all that being said, with defense being this huge issue and guard penetration, and, and I'm sorry, Rajon Rondo is taking plays off. And, and that's something that nobody wants to cover. And it has to be said because everybody on Twitter sees it. Everybody across America sees it. When I, when I saw a play today where Willie Colley Stein had to cover both guys in the pick and roll, Everybody retweeted it because they saw the same thing. You don't have guys that are getting good ball pressure. The Kings coaches have even brought it up. Um, and it's a shame because Darren Collison at one point in time was really giving you good on the ball defense. But you get this big 3 and D guy that can come in and give a little relief at the two or maybe the three. I think that's something that the Kings can acquire without having to get rid of Rudy Gay. Because right now, Gay's contract is so friendly that it doesn't make sense to give him up because they don't have a creator on the second unit. And the only guy that makes sense to be that guy is Rudy Gay. And it makes a lot of sense for him to be that guy. Yeah, I think that's something I'll point out to you. A lot of people have been hard on Rudy Gay. First of all, look at his January stats. He's shooting 54% from the field in January, people. He's been absolutely... What's, what's happened is DeMarcus Cousins has been so good that you've overlooked how good Rudy Gay has been as well. At, you know, he's averaging over 19 points. He's averaging like six and a half rebounds. He's playing extremely well until, of course, he had the heel injury and now the eyeball issue. The eyeball issue, I don't know how bad that is. Honestly, he opened it um, and a couple of guys saw it in the locker room and they said like, oh, Jesus. And when I got in the locker room, his eye was swollen shut and his his right eye, he couldn't even open his other eye. It was watering so bad. He's in he's in a lot of pain. He's in bad shape here. I don't think there's anything worse than getting poked in the eye. It's terrible. But you need a Rudy Gay type player. You need a second legitimate scorer 
even if it's a guy who puts up 19 points and does very little else. And I don't think that that's fully Rudy Gay. I think his assist numbers are down, but I think Rudy Gay does actually do some other things that people are ignoring because either they love him or they hate him. But my point is, like, I think you do need to leave Rudy Gay and I don't uh, alone. And, and I don't think that Rudy Gay was on the market per se as much as the Kings were willing to listen to offers for Rudy Gay and to kind of take in and say, okay, let's assess if there's something out there that makes this team marketably better and fits what we're trying to do and fits it long term, then that's something that they would be willing to do. Like what we heard rumors of a Ryan Anderson for Rudy Gay straight up swap. I think that that deal makes a lot of sense because number one, the Kings would instantly have a gigantic leg up on everyone, just like they will this offseason, to sign Ryan Anderson to a long-term deal because he wants to play in Sacramento. He loves Sacramento. So that deal made sense. But waiting until this offseason, when you know you're not going to be a championship contender this year anyways, and then going after Ryan Anderson, that might even make more sense and keeping Rudy Gay and having Ryan Anderson. So now you've got really a lot of different angles that you can cover. So so for me, I, it, it's the shooting guard spot. You have to figure it out. And your 3 and D guy, I, I'm with you. It, they have to figure that position out. Well, it's, it's going to be an easier acquisition. And I do think we're going to see a lot of activity in this trade deadline because there are so many odd buyer and seller combinations that could play out. And I think that's going to spur discussion. Um, but I will say this about the whole Ryan Anderson thing. The, the, the way I've heard this thing went down is the, the Hornets wanted to get rid – or probably I keep getting their names wrong today. The Pelicans wanted to get rid of Eric Gordon, and the Kings wanted nothing to do, do with that, Eric Gordon and Alonzo G. So the whole Ryan Anderson thing, because you can get him in free agency, I don't think that that was a – I think that was a report somebody was throwing some mud against the wall. As far well, they were as, looking at the trade machine and seeing which numbers work. Right. And, and they it, actually do work. You could actually trade Rudy Gay straight up for Ryan Anderson. And my hope for the Kings is that they just don't go too crazy because he's already struggling defensively. And that kind of situation can deteriorate rapidly. If you could become a one-dimensional shooter scorer, in, in his case, he's going to just have a hard time getting off a lot of the shots that we saw tonight. You know, a couple spin cycle shots that he gets off now, but will he get them off in two to three years? Um Beyond that, I think this team, though, because we've seen them struggle in with the second unit without Rondo or Cousins on the court, and even if just Cousins isn't on the court, they need a Rudy Gay type to be out there. And I want folks to watch the way Golden State plays. I'm not just saying that because they're great. The way they get Clay Thompson the ball is similar to the way that Mike Malone used to get Rudy Gay the ball. You've got to get him coming off some kind of a rub screen where he gets a catch with some momentum towards the hoop where he can put the ball down once or twice and then go into his move. The minute he starts dribbling three, four, five, six dribbles is the minute his shooting percentages plummet. It's the minute his his effectiveness goes into the garbage can at times. If you change the way you use this guy, he's one of the most dynamic offensive players in the league. So that's given me uh, hope for the Kings offense to kind of become this dynamic machine that we saw glimpses of in the last two weeks, um, but only glimpses because he's been off the floor quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. So you bring up the fact that they're using him incorrectly. And I do think that there are times when he's not used correctly. I do get that. I also would like to see a few more three pointers from him where he's on the corner three, because 
he was very productive in that situation last year. I know he's shooting right around the same numbers that DeMarcus Cousins is shooting. They've shot almost the same identical amount of three-pointers attempts and makes. Um, I think Rudy's actually outshooting DeMarcus by a little bit. Uh, but it brings us to the point of what you do with, with Marco Bellinelli. And uh, we talked about Rudy Gay being on the block. Um, I've heard from people that teams have been calling about Marco Bellinelli quite a bit. And the Kings have been saying, no, 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 not yet, not yet. We're not ready. We're not ready. And that's mainly because, number one, he's a big-time shooter and everyone could use shooters. I mean, Golden State was hot after this guy in free agency and couldn't come up with the money. Uh, the King, Of course, Golden State doesn't have anything to offer the Sacramento Kings this during this this run right here they have nothing to offer them uh unless you want jason thompson back then you could have jason thompson straight up for marco bellinelli uh, but my point is there's something wrong here with the way that the kings are using marco bellinelli and we've tried to talk about this and we try to work through it um I, you know i was talking to aaron before we came on and uh bellinelli over the first there was a six game stretch at the end of december the beginning of january where he was crazy hot we were just singing the praises of marco bellinelli he's averaging like 17.7 points per game over a six game stretch he had that 28 point game which was incredible he was doing all kinds of good stuff and i don't prescribe to the fact that a shooting guard can be bad for half of a season that they can go on a cold streak for half a season i don't prescribe to that i don't think that any standard i mean a shooting guard should be a guy who can come out there and hit a rough, uh, roughly 40% of your three-point shots, try to stay in front of his man, dribble a little bit, pass a little bit, do some things. Basically what Ben McLemore is, just a progressed version of him like three years from now. That's what I think a starting shooting guard in the NBA should look like. And what I see from Marco Bellinelli is a guy who's coming off these crazy picks. Everything he's shooting is off balance. I really do believe that he's being used incorrectly. And other teams that are looking at the Kings and and trying to lowball the Kings to get Marco Bellinelli out because again like all of the other players on the Kings roster Bellinelli's on a very serviceable contract he's at what I think he signed a three-year 19 million dollar deal when the salary cap blows up next year he's going to be worth plenty so a lot of teams are thinking man we can fix this guy and get him back to where he was in San Antonio and I guess my point is, Aaron, wouldn't it behoove the Kings to either trade him now because if not, George is going to keep running him out there doing things that realistically are hurting the team? I mean, he ran a negative 24 against the Hornets. And that's not the first time he's run a negative like that. I mean, we already know he doesn't play defense. You know, when he's not missing, I mean, when he's not hitting, he's just, you can't even have him on the floor. But can the Kings fix him without having to dump him? And and can they take advantage of the fact that they have him on a good contract? All of this comes down to George. The whole season at this point comes down to George. That, that's the scary proposition with this. Because right now, Marco's a playmaker in this offense. Marco also, asked the San Antonio writers, has a tendency to think he could do more than he can really do. So when you combine the encouragement to be a playmaker with the, the player's mindset that they are a playmaker because yeah, george believes that george yeah, believes now, that he is now you get kind of super marco and super marco is taking off balance shots he doesn't have a particularly good handle and he doesn't have the quickness to shake anybody so you get these situations especially compounded by the fact by the second unit 
A, not having a guy that can create for himself, but B, running a system that really doesn't have any purpose. The, the flow system, it's, it's not doing anything for these guys right now. But they're it running gets, a different system with him. He's, well, you made the point on Twitter. You said any it, team that has Marco Bellinelli as their, what, their number one option? They it, have two plays. Yeah. One is the second pass, unit. Yeah, yeah the, 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 it's two plays. One is passing around the perimeter, and then the other one is Marco pin down. And within the passing around the per- perimeter, Kufos or somebody else will come up and set a screen. That does happen, but it's very simple to detect. It's not going anywhere, and so the Marco pin down is like one for ten. It feels like in terms of success every time, and. The other one is Marco bailout when the clock's down to seven seconds and he's got to do something with the ball. It just doesn't look good for him. So, yeah, I think you have to go to Carl and you have to say, if you're not changing, Marco's not going to get any better. And then, yeah, I think you deal him because it's going to it's not going to get any better for him. So this is actually a high point in that scenario. But if George says, you know what, we're going to put Cousins in the post, we're going to scrap the spread to some degree, you know, and move to something else then I, I would not sell him at all because right now I don't know what you could realistically expect somebody to give for him. Well, I think getting rid of his contract is enough. I mean, to me, if if you're going to continue to use him the way that you're using him, and, okay, so over the last nine games, I, I did the math earlier, over the last nine games, he has scored in double figures twice, including the 14 points he scored the other night against uh, against Portland. He's averaging 6.7 points per game. He shot 19 of 70 from the field, which is 27%, and 5 of 28 from 3, which is 17.9%. He is killing this team. And now, I, I've like while we've had this discussion, I think I've, have, I've had an epiphany. Aaron, is it possible that the Kings run all of these sets for Marco in practice and he gets loose on every single one of them because he's playing against a defense that is the worst defense against a three-pointer in the NBA, and he gets off wide-open shot after wide-open shot after wide-open shot in practice every single time they do it. And so the, the coaches are like, man, why is he so good in practice? But we get him to the game, and he's not any good at, at coming off these screens. Is it possible it's because he's playing against his own teammates in practice who don't defend the three, and they're allowing him to look like a superstar in practice. And when you get into the game, and it's you not bring the that, same. You, you bring that up, and I think it's only fair because there's a lot of Twitter that's like, screw the offense, the defense sucks. And the defense does suck. <laughs> it's it's terrible because every screen on, on a Kings player – it results in nobody stepping up to challenge the ball handler. And teams now know that as soon as you clear your big man, if, if you're the ball handler, as soon as you clear him and you get one second of daylight, you rise and fire and you will never have a hand in your face. Ever. And as a shooter, yeah. that is a comfortable feeling. So defensively, the switching is terrible. I mean, they're switching. Like, they switched. Part of the reason in the Charlotte game that it was so – um, close at the end is they switch James Anderson onto Kemba Walker. Well, James Anderson can't cover slow shooting guards. He's they, not going to be able to cover Kemba Walker. They had Rudy Gay guarding Kemba Walker for large stretches before he got poked in the eye by Kemba, which if you go back and look at that footage, ugh. it's 
ugly. But the, the league should have called on that. That that was there. Oh, oh, the poke. Yeah, the poke in the eyeball. There was no business for that There's hand no, to be anywhere near uh, his eyeball. I agree with that, and that's weird because I've not seen a lot of that out of Kemba, and so maybe that's why he did it. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to speculate with that stuff, but your hand should not have been close to the face, and the fact that he played dumb afterwards was kind of a tell. But, um, you know, as far as, like, Marco goes, I do think that this is a guy that can stand out there with his feet set and make three-pointers with his eyes closed, and that's one reason I wouldn't necessarily want to give up on him because I was just thinking in my head while you were talking – would the Hawks get rid of Tabo Cephalosha to get Marco Bellinelli? He's like broken and old. He is broken and old. That's my point is that for the Kings, like if you could get Tabo Cephalosha right now, I think most Kings fans would be signed me up. And I don't know. I, I think I would want more. I mean, because Bellinelli, if used properly, is a, is a deadly shooter. Well, I don't know. There are teams all around the league that, I mean, I don't know what you could get from you know, the Bulls. I don't know what you could get, you know, again. Yeah, you, you what look, would you want from the Bulls? Like, Etwan Moore, maybe? or I, I don't know. But, like, again, I mean, am I crazy to think, well, what if you were able to work out some package where you dumped, I don't know. Like, Courtney Anderson. Lee? Courtney Lee would be an amazing get. Well, Courtney Lee is a guy that I think makes a lot of sense, especially since they don't like him there at all. Um, or they, they haven't. He fell out of favor there for a while. Um, he might be back in favor, but I think there are teams around the league that that would take on Bellinelli. I think the Knicks would look at Bellinelli. I think there are a lot of teams that go, man, we just well, need and, another and that's score. My, that's my fear for you guys is the wait, and that you saw the breadcrumbs laid out by certain writers talking about Aaron Aflalo. Aaron Aflalo is killing the Knicks right now, <laughs> and he's not a good defender, and he's not good for your offense. Actually. And, if you really look at Aaron Aflalo's numbers versus uh, Ben McLemore, they're similar in the way that they don't do anything else. Like right. the problem that you have with Ben McLemore, which I, I think Ben McLemore has a lot of potential still. We're seeing him being more aggressive. He's actually had a better month of January than he has in years. Um, but the, the problem that I see with Ben McLemore is he doesn't rebound the ball well. He doesn't pass the ball well. He doesn't pick up assists. And so he ends up being only a catch-and-shoot or a dunk or a three-point shoot guy. And so his PER is below 10 because he just doesn't do anything else. He doesn't help you in other ways. Even if he is a, a better defender, that, that's still not going to help his his PER. I mean, he, he does need, you know, there's something. He has to figure out a way to, to fill up the stat sheet like the way that, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein fills up the stat sheet. Even though he's not scoring, he finds a way to get rebounds. He finds a way to block shots. He finds a way to get steals. And, of course, he's a big man playing in the post, so he's going to get rebounds. He's going to get, you know, shot-blocking opportunities. But I think McLemore should have an ability to find other ways to be productive. And Aaron Aflalo is the same guy. And that is a George Carl guy. With the benefit of that he holds the ball an awful lot, and that would absolutely not work with Rondo, and that would not work with Boogie. So if he's not touching the ball, he becomes Portland Aaron Aflalo and ask the Portland people what they thought of Aaron Aflalo up there. And I do think that because he's a Carl guy and because there's this shooting guard issue, I think that once his shooting percentage comes down in New York, because he's been shooting over his head for the first half of the season, then once he starts to struggle, especially if the Knicks start to fall out of it, 
then you're going to start to see the calls for, oh, well, Aaron Aflalo is this really good defender and, you know, he can shoot the three and he's a system guy and it's going to be more or less an $8 million year for you guys next year with Aflalo if you get him. And then you, you got to ask yourself, what are you giving up? Is it just Bellinelli? Uh, maybe you can maybe you could talk about it if it's just Bellinelli, but I still don't understand if the fit will work. Well, I think that's what you've heard the Kings and Kevin Martin mentioned quite a few times. Can't do that one either. Well, I agree. But I I think that Kevin Martin is a sort of worn out version uh, of himself. Like I'm not going to – the thing – but the reason why I think Kevin Martin might be a better fit than Bellinelli is he is more adept at coming off those screens like what they're trying to do. He's also a guy that will draw a foul. And it, it actually might behoove the Kings to have a guy who who gets a bunch of fouls from the perimeter when Cousins is on the bench and slows down the game. So while the pace of the game, while it's live action, would be fast, it will have many more breaks, if you got me. So yeah, I mean absolutely. that's that's sort of an issue with Bellinelli too, is that he doesn't draw fouls. He doesn't he doesn't really do anything except for pump fake. Yeah, the thing with the Kings is they've got enough score ball handler types. You, Rondo's going to hold the ball 50% of the time. You know, that won't be his usage <laughs> rate, but that's his show. And then you got Cousins, and it's his show. So the more you, you get guys that think that it's their show, like Kevin Martin, it, it is problematic. I do like his fit not in this offense. That's the, that's the other thing is in this offense – it's really an up-tempo, and I don't know what they're doing in the half court. Yeah. So I, that, I, I think for Kevin Martin, he's a, he's a real good Rick Adelman guy, you know? Yeah. And that, that's the kind of the antithetical you know, part of this offense. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that you're looking for a guy that's cheap, acquirable, athletic, plays defense, and likes to shoot the three, and otherwise says, you know what, I'll just stay out of this, passes the ball well. Yeah, but if I'll you could get if you could get Jay Crowder for free, then you know that's like oh. a perfect. Yeah, you're, you're not going to, but you know no. what I'm saying. That's that's a type of guy that I think would actually work really, really well for this Kings team. You know, maybe uh, maybe Bellinelli would make sense there with Brad Stevens shooting, uh, opening up the offense for guys like Marcus Smart and guys like uh, Isaiah Thomas. All right, Aaron. Well, we're just about done with this edition of the king's insider podcast we've drugged this thing out well even though we did not have a guest we had too much to talk about tonight there's a lot going on with the all-star the all-star announcements uh with the king's three-game losing streak uh the five-game winning streak before that uh the all of the things that are coming up ahead where you know they're in basically a sprint mode here to the eighth spot uh can they get there can they not get there um, and of course, we've got the trade deadline coming up, which we've covered sort of extensively here as sort of a, a primer for what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks, because it's only going to, the buzz is only going to grow. So Aaron, I'm going to hit you up. What do you got? Final thoughts? Final thoughts are the same thoughts I had on after 10 games. You got you to gotta coach to your roster, not the other way around. All right. If I'm going to go with final thoughts in that same thread... I'm not going to say coach to your roster. I'm going to say there are some adjustments that need to be made. Uh, some of them are big adjustments. Some of them are not so big. Uh, and we've talked about more than one of them tonight. Clearly more to Marcus Cousins in the post, more Marco Bellinelli standing, waiting in a corner for a bus, 
hoping that DeMarcus Cousins or Rajon Rondo will flick a ball to him and he can hit an open corner three or an elbow three. I think those are things that could help this team greatly. And I guess the one thing I didn't mention when mentioning Marco earlier, I think that the way that they're trying to use Marco Bellinelli has hurt the value of Darren Collison as well because he's stuck holding a ball waiting for Marco Bellinelli to run around a bunch of screens as opposed to freelancing and being the quality scorer that he has proven to be for the Kings. So I would like to sort of unleash Darren Collison as the primary scorer off the bench as opposed to what we've seen over the first 40-something games with Marco Bellinelli. So that would be my final my final thought on that. Yeah. <laughs> Co- coach to your roster. I mean, Darren Collison's a pick-and-roll player. He always has been. You know, let him get some pick and rolls out there instead of waiting for pin down screens that are never going to work. There we go. All right. So uh, we will be back next week. I don't know. You need to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, what is it? Aaron, what's your Twitter handle just so we have it out there? Oh, it's Aaron, A-A-R-O-N-B-R-U-S-K-I. Aaron Bruski at Aaron Bruski. And of course, I am at James underscore Ham. Uh, like the podcast on iTunes. Give us comments, feedback, whatever it is that you do on iTunes. And uh, we will be back next week. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in to the Kings Insider Podcast. 